Hello, everyone. Welcome to Super Fun Scary Cast. This is episode three, and we're going to kick this episode off by asking, well, I'm going to ask Ollie, um, you ever been to an Airbnb and, you know, when you get there, it's kind of like you have this odd feeling. You wonder what has occurred in that place. It's in the middle of nowhere. You know, if you scream, there's no one around to, to hear you scream. The photos, as as is, you know, customary for, for real estate dealings, the photos and the actual place, <laughs> there's a bit of a yes. gap there. And so you thought you were going to some kind of magical log cabin, but really, really what you're getting is something that, you know, it's like a repurposed abattoir or something, <laughs> you know? You ever been to an Airbnb like that? Well, um, I haven't been to a cabin. I'm just trying to think. I'm not a very adventurous person. I'm, I'm a very, very kind of tame uh, city slicker kind of person. But I have been to hotels and motels and and definitely very old hotels that have been pretty spooky. Okay. Yeah. And in fact, I'm 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 a materialist who doesn't believe in ghosts and things but of course that means what well, that's why I love horror because maybe a part of me does but I did have an experience a very very weird and frightening experience at a very old hotel once can you tell us about that in Wagga um, yeah Wagga which is um, for for the um, non-Australians listening it's a it's a city I guess not a town it's a city in, mm-hmm. in Australia um, this is a very old hotel hence me staying there because that's that's why it was cheap and I could stay there um, as part of an academic conference. And I do remember it's it's one of those places where there's a lot of wood um, in the structure. Yeah. Now, it seems to me that wood wooden structures are particularly prone to being sinister. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain creakiness to it. The wood itself has a history. Uh, it wears and it shows wear. That's right, but it's also like the, from the flesh of a living thing. Right? Yeah, which when we're talking true. about the woods being alive, which we will shortly, <laughs> when we talk about the evil yes. dead, uh, it seems like the 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 life of the wood is somehow been you know integrated into life of the house. So it's it's not. It is man-made. It's made of timber that is made from woods, but there's something about it that's still a bit wild and natural. So, so this 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 hotel anyway. Did, it was had a lot of wood, like wooden floors, wooden rafters, and all of that, and a wooden old wooden bed, which I got. Um, I was sleeping on when I got woken up at some ungodly hour, around three to four a.m. What woke you up? Was shaking violently. That sounds like was. a thing. That yeah. sounds like uh, that sounds like some sort of uh, you know supernatural, paranormal experience, possibly, or you know, too much alcohol uh, earlier. I mean, <laughs> it was strange, but it's one of those things, you know. I guess that um, um, you you sort of, especially, um, I mean, I was there for an academic conference. And and that's something else we can talk about too, like the horror of research, the horror of digging. <laughs> the horror of academic conferences. Exactly, exactly. And when you've spent a lot of time thinking about things like history 
And especially in that part, you know, I'm already thinking about the history of this part of Australia. It's sort of yeah. the atrocities against the Aboriginal people who used to live there, the mm-hmm. history of the building itself. And like you said, these old photos that are around and you kind of look at them, they're all black and white or sepia referring yeah. to an earlier time. And you think, yeah. ooh, what's, what, what horrible thing happened here? And how am I yeah. going to be spooked by that? It's funny how black and white photos can have that effect on you. You're sort of like... You know, I, I love black and white photography, especially if, if it's someone like Peter Lindbergh or, you know, someone who, who just um, is able to you know, produce these wonderful black and white prints. Uh, you know, it's I really love that photography. But at the same time, once you connect those photos to a certain place or if they're hanging on the wall of a certain place, there is something about it that uh, can be a, a bit creepy. Um, maybe some of it is just how people used to take portraits during those times. But, you know, there's the portrait of the person who, who founded the place. And you're like, mm. <laughs> like, you must have been up to some to no good. Um, oh, totally. And, and I think the, the reason, like, I totally agree with you. And why, why black and white photos are, are particularly creepy in that way uh-huh. uh, is because maybe they remind us of the history of photography. Take us back to the origin of photography, yeah. which is... You know, um, obviously they were not uh, color photos to begin with. And then we are reminded of just how uncanny photography is. Yeah. Take a picture of somebody and then they die and yet they will continue to look at you. Now, that's properly spectral um, stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah, And we don't sort of realize just how normal that's become for us to come face to face with a person who's no longer alive. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, there, there are some people who believe that for every photo taken, uh, you know, a piece of their soul is, is taken away, right? It becomes part of the photo. You see it in, uh, it's a horror movie trope, isn't mm. it, right? Films that we should probably watch, films like Shutter or uh, The Ring, uh, when you've been cursed and someone takes a photo of you that, you know, your face shows up distorted, The Omen. The Omen, yep. yes, yes. Uh, so that maybe that's a that's a trope, you know, media and 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 sort of media media and media panic in horror film. The same thing happened in the film that we watched. <laughs> the film. How many of these films did we watch? So you've you've already said it. It's the Evil Dead. That's what we're doing this week. Uh, it's Evil Dead Rise week. <laughs> so even though this uh, this podcast will be released, you know number of weeks um into the release of evil dead rise uh ali and i did go see this film and of course because we love the evil dead uh as a film franchise then we went back and watched the evil dead um and one of the the things that stands out in the series whether it's the evil dead the evil dead 2 uh, actually, it's The Evil Dead. This was confusing, right? It's The Evil Dead. That's what the film is called. And then Evil Dead, with no the, uh, Dead by Dawn. And then Army of Darkness. Uh, we've got The Evil Dead remake from 2013. Uh, we've got Ash versus The Evil Dead. Uh, and the TV show, we've got The Evil Dead the video game. And, and, and more recently, or just recently, uh, The Evil Dead Rise. There's always some form of media in any of these series. In fact, the the, the series uh, it's 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 a common feature of the series, right? You look at uh, 
the Evil Dead 2, you look at the Army of Darkness, it starts with the Necronomicon and usually a record. Mm. Right? And mm. it's just interesting that you know, this idea that a book and research, you mentioned the horrors of research, right? Mm. The book, research, and a record of things that are unknown. In this case, a literal like vinyl yeah. record. Yeah. Um, mm. Mm. I think in the original Evil Dead, it was a it was a tape, wasn't it? It was a tape. It was uh, not a tiny cassette tape. We're that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like those giant reels of tape. Mm. Just this idea that unearthing a, a type of knowledge and recording it in the form of a book, recording it in the form of uh, of some sort of audio recording. The fact that this could be scary, the fact that this could bring into the world um, something unholy, something unknown, is such a strong sort of central pillar of this entire series. Yes, yes. And it's 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 also very interesting that you have like the contrast between all the forms of you know, media and the newer ones. So Evil Dead Rise, yes, brings has the smartphones in it, which play a little bit of a part in the film, but not a particularly big part. Yeah, not much. But when you have the contrast between the book um, and and recorded sound, that's a really interesting thing. Um, and, and the Necronomicon that appears in Evil Dead, so that's meant to be a grimoire, which is to say a book written on human skin. Yes. Um, and in blood, in at that. blood, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's it's really interesting because Necronomicon itself, as as a sort of a concept or an idea that is forged by H.P. Lovecraft, is meant to be a fake book. Yes, it's a book that doesn't exist. Now the way Lovecraft writes about it, and 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 he was you know totally deranged and obsessive. He wrote as if this book actually existed. Um, and the people who read Lovecraft's stories, some of them actually believed that this book did, did exist. It must be somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, and, you know, Lovecraft is like a, a kind of a conspiracy theorist of fiction. So his, his work really sort of um, encourages people to imagine yes. that all these hidden secrets that only Lovecraft knew about, but he did not tell anybody else. So... And I, I've always loved this, this, this theory that the Necronomicon is an actual book written by this so-called, quote-unquote, mad Arab, this mystic who lost his mind in the Middle Ages, went to look for hell. Um, he accidentally, through these ancient ruins of Mesopotamia, pre-Islamic ruins, yeah. finds his way, way to hell. Um, now the story, I think, is clearly influenced by, like you know, um, journeys to the underworld that you find, yes. you know, epic poems and Dante going to hell. Yeah. Um, the way sort of Lovecraft thinks of the Mad Arab writing Necronomicon is that this book contains spells that and names of the demons. So the idea is that the Mad Arab went and met all these demons, <laughs> wrote down their names. Yeah. As you do, and, as you do, <laughs> and if and then somehow this book survives, or somehow he comes, he he emerges from the hole in the ground with the book, with the names of demons. Yeah, and if somebody gets hold of this book, and if they say the names of the demons, then, then that they demons will come back. Will come back. 
You've got your Rolodex of demons. Exactly. Which which brings me to a personal story of me actually dabbling in this kind of thing. But before I talk about that... <laughs> no, we want to hear that. I will, I will <laughs> get on, to Ollie. it. I have to say, Jason, it will be disappointing. Uh, <laughs> let's just say, spoiler alert, there were no demons. But uh, before I do that, this is around the time that I was like, you know, first year uni student and I was share housing. And I remember exact experience of watching the evil dead yeah with my housemates late 90s in a living room of a of a rental property on the gold coast the evil dead the evil the dead. The, the original came out when 1981 81 okay mm. so so you were watching it in the 90s in the 90s had you seen it before I mean, I don't think I had. Okay. Okay. So this is your first yes. viewing of the Evil Dead. Even it's just coming a, a decade after mm-hmm. the original re- the release of the film. I think it was similar for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go ahead. Well, well, that that uh, that's that's it. Blew me away. Yeah. I, I yeah. enjoyed it so much that I I, I can't um, remember if I had enjoyed watching a movie with other people so much. Mm, yeah. Um, the, the 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 joy of of the it's such a joy inducing movie yeah and and I remember that really well what about yourself like what are your oh it uh, was not joy <laughs> it was I I've always enjoyed uh, horror films even though I spent a lot of time as a child um, in a in in a, a, a relatively large but kind of money pit type of house. Right, uh, so it was it was a, it was a large house, but it creaked. It was not, you know, it had not been renovated. Everything was kind of creepy, um, but that's not where I saw the Evil Dead. I saw the Evil Dead at uh, an uncle's house, and so we're you know sitting there, we're watching the Evil Dead. Of course, it's a video cassette, and I am just petrified i'm enjoying the film but it is actually scaring me uh and i remember my my uncle standing up and saying i have to go to the bathroom i'll be back and i latched onto his leg like there was no tomorrow i'm like no there's no way (laughs) yeah and he's like, well, if you see what I have to do in the bathroom, you would prefer <laughs> you, the Evil Dead by yes, far. Uh, <laughs> so, so how old would you have been? Um, I must have been quite young. I must have been, I would say, between 10 and 12 years old. 12 seems a little bit old. By that point, I had become <laughs> desensitized to, to a lot of horror films. So I, I would say closer to, to 10 yeah mm. that but but mm. it mm. i remember that vividly mm. Mm. uh my reaction my response if not to the film itself to the idea that while watching this film my uncle would go to the bathroom right and leave me there <laughs> <laughs> with that film and there were cousins there too which is odd because i guess i just thought that mm. without the adult in the room what are, what are a bunch right. of kids going to do against right. the evil dead, right? Mm. You know, nothing. Although, a more valid question is probably, what is anybody going to do? What are the adults going to do against the evil dead, <laughs> except become them? So, Yes. 
Maybe The Evil Dead is a film about adulthood, right? You you spend mm. all of this time trying not to become something, but in the end, mm. you succumb to it. Yes. And you become the, the the thing that you were trying not to become, unless you're Ash, mm. which he becomes almost part of The Evil Dead too. Yes, but, and, but it's interesting, isn't it? That from he doesn't he doesn't get possessed. Um, so I think the the the, the basic kind of um, framework he, is that if your skin is broken, am I right? In the Evil Dead, if you yeah. if if somehow your skin breaks and you bleed, yeah. then you, there's an opening for the spirit to creep in. Is that the logic? I okay. So Ash does get possessed in the Evil Dead too. Right. Ash actually gets possessed. Again, he sees the the magical necklace that he he was about to give uh, that he had given Linda, course, I believe it was. Course, yes. Um, and then he's brought back, and he's like, you know, oh, I'm okay now, <laughs> right? So apparently, you can fight if you. But Ash is also listed in the Necronomicon as like the hero, right? So so yes. he's he's got something that no one else has. Um, you know, I was thinking about this question when we were watching Evil Dead Rise. So okay. Oh. Spoiler. Um, there's a part of that film that involves a, a, a tattoo needle. Yes. And one of the evil dead stabs herself with the tattoo needle. And so I'm thinking, well, why would you do that? Hmm. Right? Like the whole point is to, I mean, if you want to gross people out, yeah, I guess you would do that, right? And and part of mm. the whole point of the Evil Dead or what they try to do is wreak havoc and get, <laughs> you know, kind of figuratively and literally under your skin. Mm. So why would you stab yourself with the tattoo needle? Soon, very soon after she stabs herself with the tattoo needle, she cuts the skin of one of the children. And that is the first child to turn. So she drew some blood from herself and put it in the tattoo That's correct. And transferred it onto... That's my guess. Okay. So, it, it, mm. and, and it's the same with the eyeball, right? So apparently stomach acid is, <laughs> is no match for the Evil Dead, right? In Evil Dead 2 and in Evil Dead Rise, there's one of those kooky eyeball scenes where an eyeball goes flying across the corridor or the room and someone just happens to have their mouth open and they end up swallowing an eyeball, you know, much Naturally. like you would. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> much like you would swallow a fly or something, right? Um, and they, of course, now have the Evil Dead inside them and so they, mm-hmm. they turn. So, but, but then there's also in the beginning, right? Mm. When we're looking at the Evil Dead cam, very often there's that first victim and the Evil Dead cam is flying in, you know, join us, right? And it's going, <laughs> you know, just kind of flying. Um, that person gets infected, mm. even though they didn't have any cuts. Mm. Um, they weren't necessarily bleeding or anything. Mm. So the, it, it's there are different, vectors for for infection it seems um and another thing that we often see in that film is just this ridiculous amount of bodily fluids <laughs> right it's blood yes. it's something that looks like milk it's green another time uh and when the evil dead is on top of you we'll often see them vomit onto your face right yes. and then that's how 
you know, someone vomits on your face, right? It's in your eyes. And it's not just a little bit of vomit, people. It's <laughs> like it's a profuse amount. It's a fire hydrant of, of vomit, of blood vomit. Um, that's going to get somewhere into you and you become the mm. evil dead via that vector. Mm. So it seems like there are different sort of multiple mm. ways um, for that to be passed on. Mm. But it does very much seem, except for, for that first sort of possession, mm. Mm. It, the, the first one seems like a possession. Everything after that seems like an infection. That's a really great way to put it. So the very first victim in The Evil Dead is um, is is the kind of character that would normally become the final girl, right? So you have five you have five young people. They're not teens. They're older than teen, but they're still very young. Mm-hmm. So you know they're they're you know young and attractive. And four of them are sexually active. They're two couples. Yep. One of them being Ash and Linda. The other one being um, a very obnoxious guy called Scott <laughs> and his partner. And then there is a girl who's a single girl. Yes, that is. Uh, what was her name? Was it? Uh, yes. I always, I always wanna wanna say it's something Sher- I like. Think it's uh, Shirley. It's Cheryl. Cheryl. Cheryl that's Cheryl. it. Cheryl. Cheryl. So we have Cheryl now. Cheryl is the kind of girl who would later on be <clears throat> recognized as a final girl. She's single. Yep. She's not sexually active. Yep. She's she's dorky. She's no one's a, listening to her. No one's listening to her. She's opinionated. Yeah. She is. She's always reading a book, and she's arty as well. Yeah. So she's drawing pictures. Now that's really interesting. What you were saying earlier, Jason, about forms of media being implicated in this demonic story. Mm-hmm. There is a more primitive form of communication, even, and that's drawing. So yes. we've got drawing by hand. We've got the book. Yes. And then we have the recorded music and recorded sound, and ultimately we have the iPhone. Well, and she draws a a, a, a picture of the book, right? She does draw a picture of the book. Yeah, exactly. when she's kind of her hand is is taken over. Yes, you know. So th- that's the first. I think that's the first entry of the demonic um, in in the franchise is when, like you say, it, we have the demon cam is just you know blowing like breeze on the uh, on on the ground, and then. It, I'm not sure if it actually enters the house as such, but it, I think it detects um, detects Cheryl's hand yes. because this hand is busy drawing something. And I think at this point, like um, you, you, you know, what does a phone do with a with a with um, with a speaker? Like I don't know the language. You know, when you have the iPhone and it um, has a Bluetooth speaker, mm-hmm. it pairs with this speaker, right? Right. Yes. So I think uh, at this yeah. point, the demon. <laughs> Pairs with so Linda's hand. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Linda has no control over it. But it's interesting that this, this demonic entity is like a cultural or artistic entity, which mm. sort of reminds me of our um, last conversation about art the clan. There seems to be something about evil and art. Yes. Art yeah. somehow is connected to evil. And, and one has to say the Necronomicon itself, so it's a properly artistic thing, isn't it? It is, yes. It's invented by an artist called, you know, H.P. Lovecraft, and in the films, it's shown to be full of drawings. Yes, it's and they're really great drawings, right? They're yeah, really they are great. They are. It's a great artwork of art. In fact, I'm I'm sure many a horror buff has made their own Necronomicon. Necronomicon yeah, and yeah. I did that too in the '90s. I tried to do it as a visual arts project. Yeah, um, which, needless to say, my teacher and at the height of postmodernism. Um, just thought it wasn't it was a bit low brow oh i think yeah. what you were supposed to say is you know let's just prick your finger it just needs a bit of blood we'll see what you think <laughs> <Exactly>. then <laughs> but 
so it's interesting, yeah, isn't it? And, yeah. And yeah. then, of course, in, the, in Evil Dead Rise, the person, the young boy who evokes evil mm-hmm. is a DJ. Yes. Yeah. Who is, uh, you know, surrounded by vinyl, right, all the time. Uh, and this was tricky about the, the Evil Dead Rise. Um, there is a... This is where you kind of want to get your articles correct, right? Is it is it a uh, is it the? So there is a Necronomicon in that film, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? We we we've kind of grown accustomed to this idea of there being the Necronomicon, but we find out that well, maybe there are multiple Necronomica. Mm. What's the, <laughs> what's the, what's the plural? Um. And so, yeah, the book, uh, the the boy happens upon a book, the Necronomicon, uh, which is surrounded by all of these crucifixes and this large, you know, crucifix that kind of almost falls onto the boy as, as if to say, yeah, nah, maybe you shouldn't be doing this, which I find very funny in the Evil Dead franchise. If you watch the Evil Dead remake in the Necronomicon, it's sort of like it's written... Do not read this passage. This passage right here, the one that says these words, do not read it. And you're like, okay, well, (laughs) you know, that just makes makes them want to read it, which is what they do. Um, So the boy takes he he finds the book, you know, in in like an old uh, it's an old bank building, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's 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 heavily secured, right? So it's in kind of a a vault, Mm -hmm. and we assume it's been put there so that no one. No one finds it, which I also find interesting. It's like, is there a way to destroy this book? Can we not just put it somewhere surrounded by crucifixes and hope that no one ever finds it? That's Can a we? very good question because in the in, in the Evil Dead, Ash burns the book. Yes, that's what destroys the demons. So we think. Mm, but I'm wondering, in terms of like the cosmology of this kind of horror, if the destruction of the object could actually do more harm. That mm. good. Well, in Ash versus the Evil Dead, the series, they actually need the Necronomicon, yes. so they can't destroy it. I mean, Necronomicon is sometimes falsely referred to as a Satanic Bible, but it's not. Yeah, there that's is, not there what is it. such a thing as a Satanic Bible, apparently. And um, but it's clearly the like the other, the dark other of the Bible. Yes. And and so yes, you need a book to fight a book or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, or you use the power of the book, book to fight itself. Yes. The, the the book that causes the problems, it's the teacher's edition. <laughs> so if you look in the back, it's got the answers, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, very much uh, the Necronomicon. Yeah, so so in, in Evil Dead Rise, we have this pairing of the book. I don't know why they have to put the records near the book if the point is... <laughs> Is is yes. you know we don't want people to awaken this spirit. Put the record someplace Maybe else. It's like some of our students, you know, who don't want to read the book, and you're saying, well, okay, there is an online version of it. You could listen to the audio book. Maybe it's yeah. for the people who don't like reading. <laughs> but it's also it's kind of what's very interesting too, Jason, is that like what's really missing from everything we've said is actually the written word. Yes. So if you have Necronomicon itself in these movies. Unless I'm mistaken, it's primarily visual. It just shows images of demons yeah. and people being tortured in hell and so on. Then there's a recorded voice, which is spoken words, not by, written words. By an archaeologist. Yes. Right? But, um, and I think in Evil Dead Rise, it's a priest. Yes. Um, who's voiced by um, Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Um, 
and and then you have you know the drawings being done by Cheryl in the first movie. You yes. have the tattoos of the um, demonic or to be demonic mother in the in the last film. Mm -hmm. But what's really missing from all of this is a written word. Yes, and and yeah. that's that's kind of interesting. And I think their cinema itself is is I think um, playing that role or something like that. I mean, there is written word, right? So. Um, there's the Evil Dead Rise, interestingly, begins with some strange references to Wuthering Heights. Yes, yes. Which, you know, for, for a lit scholar, I'm like, oh, great, it, it's, it's there. But then um, it, it, it ends. Can I just say, since we're talking about the beginning of Evil Dead Rise, mm -hmm. that for me, that intro to Evil Dead Rise, before the opening credits, is itself a fantastic little short film. Mm. Can you take us through that? Well, it begins um, with a cabin in the woods. So yes. right away you have a reference to the to the uh, tradition of the Evil Dead films. Or to a cabin in the woods. Exactly, which is, which is incidentally, if I'm not mistaken, the name of the short film that uh, Romero, not Romero, Raimi, Sam Raimi made, mm -hmm. which was a concept short film he made in order to interest the uh, investors. Okay, yes. And so he, ma he makes this little film with the um, um, special effects guy, uh, Tom Sullivan, and that this is the little short film that then interests investors. They, they incidentally give them very little move money because by then, by like late 1970s, early 1980s, the horror boom is, seems to be over. It's already. over, yeah. And big, big budget films like, you know, um, The Shining have kind of flopped. So there is, you know, there's not much space for, there's not much of a, a, a stomach for investing a lot of money in horror, which yeah. works, you know, mm. for Raimi's purposes, actually. Absolutely. Well, look, you see, that's one of the things I love about horror. Horror does best with very, the smaller the budget, I think, the more creative the directors have to be. And and, and I think that's, um, that really sh in shows in the case, in, in Raimi's case. But um, so, so at the beginning of Evil Dead Rise, um, I think kind of takes us back to that minimal space where all you have is like three actors, yep, three young unknown actors mm -hmm. because you know you can't afford known actors, so they're just three people you found in your class. Say if you're a uni student, <laughs> you just yeah. drag them, tell them, "Hey, can you act in my film?" And they say, "Uh, I don't know how to act." You say, "You don't have to. You yes. just have to scream." This will look great on your CV. <laughs> That's right. It's a horror film. It doesn't require any acting talent, <laughs> and uh, so you put them in front of a camera, often just one camera. And, and then you just think, okay, well, how can I make this interesting? Yeah. Well, I'll have one of them be demonically possessed for no good logical reason. I mean, we tried to talk before about, well, how does one get possessed? You know, do they get injured in a certain way? Do yes. they ingest evil? Do they inhale evil? I mean, ultimately, I think one of the uh, great things about uh, um, Sam Raimi's universe is that unlike many other demonic possession movies or narratives, he doesn't tell us why. Yeah, it kind of just exists. It doesn't just it? exists, yeah. and it just chooses victims yeah. in in so, all sorts of weird, random ways. And it's almost yeah. as if the association between it and uh, you know listening to records or you know being in, uh, coming in contact with the book Necronomicon is incidental. It's as if the demon is playing a joke. Yes. Um, because it seems like the demon could possess you anyway. The the demon's already there, yeah. right? Because yeah. Uh, before they even, uh, you know, going back to the first Evil Dead, before they even go into that cellar, right, with the trapdoor, um, we're already hearing weird things. We've seen the 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 old wooden chair uh, swing that's on the front porch banging. 
I love that scene. Yeah. Against the cabin, and then suddenly it stops. We already know that something is off. It's really just beckoning you downstairs to officially invite it. Exactly, and which is really wonderful. It's it really turns the, I guess, the exorcist idea of demonic possession, yes. which, which you know about ten years earlier, the exorcist really puts demonic possession on the map mm-hmm. in in popular culture, and there the story is that the to be possessed individual for very you know for whatever reason maybe because she's lonely or she's bored she gets a Ouija board yes which up to that point is actually just an innocent parlor game mm-hmm. but then she gets out the Ouija board and it is through the Ouija board that Pazuzu the you know ancient Sumerian demon yes the whole enters, is a Sumerian demon isn't it exactly enters the her body so that that's 10 years later Raimi is doing the same thing yes his, his demon is incidentally also Sum- a Middle Eastern yes. demon yes they change it every film <laughs> like they give it more detail every film but in the beginning of uh, of Army of Darkness, you know, it it says just you know uh, almost right away. Uh, the Necronomicon is an ancient Sumerian text, right? <laughs> so they're just because the book is so important to um, understand what's happening because a lot of what they have to do in order to fix the problem involves chasing pages of the book or reciting something from the book or rescuing the book from something. Um, The book, in the very beginning of the films, it just starts to take on its own presence. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that. There's there's other book humor uh, in Evil Dead 2 when... uh, So Ash has his hand bitten. um, And... Of course, you know this is a this is a going to become a point of infection, right? So his hand starts to take over and starts to attack him. It becomes very Three Stooges esque, and so Ash's uh, response to this is to use the chainsaw to uh, to to remove <laughs> to sever uh, the infected part, and he takes the severed hand, puts it under a bucket, grabs a bunch of books to put on top of the bucket so that the can't, the hand can't move. And what's the top book? No. It's a farewell to arms. <laughs> so there's some, there's some really good humor, I yeah, think, all across this series. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I have to say, now I don't know if we get, this is the part of our conversation where enthusiasm may... Well, I will remain enthusiastic, but I might become also a bit critical about Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, we did not leave there very happy. No, and the humor was certainly lacking. Hmm. Um, yeah. But I think humor is so important in this in the Evil Dead. And I think that if today we talk about um, um, horror comedy as a genre, um, you know, as we, we we talked about the Terrifier last time, and, and today we take it we take it for granted that you know one of the great techniques of horror today is to first make an audience laugh yes or at least smile and then once the audience is relaxed then really shock them or horrify them and we like that play this is almost this is almost a contemporary aesthetic of horror we see it in you know i don't know stranger things Mm -hmm. a whole range of other things megan 
um, X, yes, um, etc. And um, and I think I, I would say Pearl was quite comedic as well. Totally, totally. Yeah. And and I think um, Raimi almost invents this. So mm, you know, before yes. before um, before Raimi, there are there is comedy horror, but sometimes it's either comedy or horror. Yes. So when you have like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, well, that's yeah, that's, that's a spoof. Yes. Um, but um, but Raimi really fuses them together. He does. He and does. In in a way that it neither becomes a comedy nor is it. I mean, it stays horror. I think. I think. I think. If the Evil Dead is still a horror, but it is so strongly comedic that it's it's. Um, it's reinvents the language of horror, I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why it's such a, you know, a, a durable text mm, in mm, The Evil Dead. Mm. Although the, the it changes, it really comes in into its own. It really comes into its own as the the series progresses, right? So The Evil Dead feels like it is leaning t- toward horror. Hmm. The Evil Dead Two. There's so many zany sequences that you know you just say okay this this is not this is not pure horror this is this is comedy right there's so much of it in there um all these little jokes the flying eyeball um all of those sorts of things and the the idea that that at the end of the film there would be a portal that sucks ash into the back into the 1300s right this this came out of nowhere and then you get to army of darkness and it's just what is this what are you doing but ash becomes ash right you ash as a character the first one he's just trying to survive right he's completely traumatized has no he's just lost his he's trying to be a his good girlfriend yeah. yes yes trying to do the right thing and I'm, yes i mean he's 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 got scott there as the kind of a more macho toxic kind of guy yeah that he doesn't want to be like and and seeing what happens to scott that scott <laughs> finally gets his comeuppance yeah he wasn't uh, that bad did he i don't know if he needed a comeuppance I, I think he did and and you know i'm not saying it like from a a more evolved uh, perspective <laughs> of a of a guy in a of a snag or whatever um, in in the twenty first century, but but it feels like it's already there. The fact that if if brute force mm-hmm. would be capable of defeating this demonic force, yeah. which is which is a in my opinion a highly feminine demonic force, mm-hmm. it pairs. I'm going to use that word. It pairs with the bodies of women it very does. easily. Well, and there are certain scenes in the film where that pairing becomes painfully uh, yes. uh, apparent. Um, but Scott, I, I no agree with what you're saying. By the way, when I said it, but true, you're right. Yes, yes. yes. Um, Scott, yeah, you're right. You know, if yeah. if it were simply a matter of brute force, mm-hmm. then Scott would be the one to survive. But he does not. He does not, and in fact, his um, his demise is probably. Uh, I mean. All the, the other than actually other four members of the party, you know, are, are pretty badly, uh, uh, um, you know, treated uh, by the demon. Yes. But 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 I guess in a way, for, for Scott, who thought of himself as a leader of the group, mm-hmm. he's the he's the guy. You know, he's almost like the older brother to Ash. I think they have yes. this sort of relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. He 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 tries yeah. to tell Ash, grab the axe. You know, Ash, grab the axe, and Ash is kind of, yeah. you know, paralyzed. Right. He he can't move. Right. Yes. So yeah, Scott is the stronger, older brother, uh, mm. 
and 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 Ash ends up I don't know. Yeah. Seeming like a weaker character. Seeming. Hmm. So okay, so Scott gets his comeuppance. He does. Um and then Ash is left. Ash Ash is essentially the mouse left in a box hmm. surrounded by cats. Right? They're just yes. looking to kind of throw him around and, and torture him and, and they're looking to play with Ash, really, is what mm. they're doing. Mm. Um, mm. The Evil Dead 2 kind of continues with that trajectory, I guess. Um, and it's it begins, it's a continuation. Mm. It's, it's almost a direct continuation. There's some differences, but... And here Ash is alone for much of the film. Until the daughter of the owners of the cabin come uh, looking for her parents, Ash is alone. And he has to survive. Mm. And this requires a certain kind of strength, a certain kind of courage, a certain kind of bravery, but also a sense of humor probably. Yes. Right? When, when, the, when Ash, I think he sits on a chair and he falls and the deer head looks at him and starts laughing. And everything around him, the lamp starts moving and laughing. Mm. Everything around him is laughing. And then Ash joins in the laughter, right? Mm. He's like, <laughs> okay, all right, you evil dead. You've got a sense of humor. Yeah, you know, all right, that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. We can share this comedic moment together. Mm. Um, and then once you get to Army of Darkness, he's somehow taken that trauma and done probably what we all wish we could do with trauma but cannot and turned it into a type of fuel hmm. right he's fully confident now he knows who he is he's delivering all of these these really bad one-liners you know the the you know the 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 the, the things that he says right the 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 one of the lines that he gives um the love interest of the story after she's possessed so her name is Sheila so she's possessed and, you know, she's on him and, and she's like, you found me beautiful once. And Ash goes, you're waiting for him to deliver this really witty line. He goes, honey, you got real ugly. And it's like, OK, all right, Ash, whatever. Um, but he, he, he has really become a character. And that's the Ash that we see in Ash versus the Evil Dead, the TV series. So this progression of Ash, this ability for the series to become to 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 take these risks and to shift from horror mm. to horror comedy to comedy horror yeah. i think is is one of the endearing things about the evil dead mm. they with at least those first 3 they didn't stop taking risks mm. Mm. it seems yes the one of the disappointing things about perhaps about evil dead rise as i mentioned we walked out and we were like oh Ah, uh, you know, that could have been better. Uh, it seemed like a modern day sort of horror film that was meant to be not necessarily a blockbuster, but that was just meant to be a popular film. I'm not sure many risks were taken with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And and I think I think what you say about Ash is very interesting because... You know, Ash is kind of born around the time of Rambo. 
and and you know the, the sort of the 80s action figure action hero yes. or the more sensitive action figure in the, in the figure of Indiana Jones yep. and and yet it seems like he's very reluctant he to take on that that role he doesn't want to do that yeah he just wants to be a lover you know yeah. they in evil dead the first one the evil dead the evil dead he goes to the cabin because he wants to be with his girlfriend. Yes, that's right. And and very reluctantly, he comes to accept that, you know what, this is me. Yeah. I am the the guy who does, you know, fights evil. Yes. Um, and that's, that is probably an important ingredient of this, of this, of this genre, maybe, but certainly of this franchise, a kind of a reluctant, a reluctant uh, protagonist who finds him or herself. And, yes. and I don't, I, I really do think Ash could be a, woman I, th- I think you know we could have had a female ash in um evil dead rise for sure I- interestingly the filmmaker doesn't want to give us that the mm. filmmaker i mean that's one of the if you like variations or however they wanted to think about this this film to make it new i guess by making it different so they, yeah. they i think they made a conscious decision to take out this pseudo or quasi or mock action figure yes who very reluctantly has to fight forces of evil that are that are much stronger than him, and and, and that, I think that's what makes Ash an endearing figure, yes. because we know that he's weaker than the forces he's facing. Yeah, and and exactly like you said, they're just toying with him. Yeah, and if he does defeat them, it's because they let him. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> or he barely defeats them. <laughs> he, he only kind defeats. of defeats them, right? Exactly. Like in Army of Darkness, he because he can't remember the exact words mm. that he needs to say. He only ever kind of does anything, you know. Um, yeah, I. So, so you think that the characters that we see in Evil Dead Rise, you feel that none of them lend themselves to uh, a continuing series or a character that develops across multiple uh, films. I mean, that's. How, kind of how I felt. Mm, exactly. I very much doubt they would be thinking about a sequel to this one. Maybe they, maybe they are looking at you know how much money it makes and to see if it's profitable enough. And from yeah. what I understand, it's doing okay. And it's in fact looking at the reviews, Jason. It seems like you and I are like the heretics here. Most people <laughs> like it. And interestingly, um, some of the things that reviewers are saying, the reviewers are saying, look. This is one for the fans of the franchise. And mm. I think, well, that surprises me to hear that because I would have a more favorable view of this film if I didn't think about it's the history. The history, yes. Exactly. Yeah. If I didn't think about the history, I would probably think of this as a as a competent, sincere, but confusing horror film, which can't decide yeah. if it's really about uh, the horrors and anxieties of a mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and 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 I think it broadly fits into a genre which we may call maternal horror. Yes, which is to say the horror of mothers, but also mothers' horrors of being mothers, mothers. and of their yeah. own children. The horror of having to be a parent, yes. and particularly in a gendered context. So there is that that big genre which which you know I think recently has seen some really good movies like um, Baba Duke for example yes. and yeah. some others as well. Yeah. Um, I think this movie wants to be that yeah. or belong to that genre, and I think the director of this f- uh, film, um, his f- first and previous film was was exactly that. Yes, it's, it's a movie about it's about a mother who's frightened of her child. 
which is to say she's frightened of having children, which is to say it's a fear of being a mother. Yes. So that, that you know, it, it, it's it's an interesting genre. It's consistent with that. It's very consistent with that. Yeah. So yeah. you have that on the on one hand, and then you have this other film that tries to connect with existing cultural tropes, yep. such as the Necronomicon, um, you know, the very idea of demonic possession. Yes. Which... This film doesn't try to reinvent. It just expects us to accept that there can be such a thing as demonic possession. Yeah, we take the ride with it, essentially. Which, which I'm very happy to, but I yeah. feel like that that really doesn't sit well with the, I would say, the frankly, the pretensions of this film to say something serious about motherhood. Yeah, And I think that, you know, that didn't work for me. And, and and I say this not as somebody who doesn't like serious movies. I love serious movies about, you know, serious questions like parenting and motherhood. But I think this movie missed the mark. It tried to be both. It yes. tried to be fun uh, and belong to this very fun and, you know, uh, joyous, in my opinion, joyous franchise. And yes. yet at the same time, it tries to say something serious about... Oof, okay. About family. Family, about... raising children, how tough that can be, especially if you're a single mother. Yep. So, so one of our protagonists, the first one to be demonically possessed, she is... A new single mother, her 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 partner has left her, and and there's things to be said about that too. Yes. So the 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 guy is gone. She's alone. She's financially struggling. She has three children, that whom she's struggling to control, especially the the boy. Although they are good children, I should I should add, they're good kids, mm. very good kids actually. Yes. Yes. Like they're not, you know. There's no problem child amongst the bunch. I think no, except yeah. for the boy who goes and finds an Necronomicon. Well, yeah, evokes evil, but other, <laughs> otherwise they're fine. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, that, that's true. But no, you're right. They're not. It's not a. It's not that kind of movie. It's not like a social realist movie about the difficulties of single parenting. Right. So we have that level of the fear of. A mother's fears. Then we have the children being af- being fearful of their mother. Yeah. Because at first they're worried about, oh, is mom doing okay? Daddy is gone. <laughs> is she struggling financially? All of that stuff. But then when she becomes possessed, then yeah. they're literally terrified of it. We know mom's not them. okay. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then we have this other layer, which which I think um, is is where I guess there's a sort of an ideological debate perhaps mm-hmm. and that's the other character who's the sister of our first mother right who she herself is a mother to be she to be. has a, it's an unplanned pregnancy it's an unplanned pregnancy yep. we, and then the question is does she keep it or not right and in the course of the film we have her struggling with this fear as well yes so we have all these kind of different fears of of, of maternity and really can can all of this be fitted into the mold of a good old Evil Dead film? Yeah, and I just I, I it didn't work for me. I I might also throw in one more thing that you might be able to read from the film. I I thought that one of the things that it did well, somewhat, is it it poses to the audience. What is perhaps a, a, a very a question related to a very modern day malaise, which is how is it that we can be isolated even when we're surrounded by people? Right? How is it that we can feel alone even if we are in the middle of a sitting? Right? Because one of the things that the Evil Dead does, the Evil Dead do, <laughs> do I guess, uh, yeah. yes, the people, the Evil Dead, um, is they isolate you. It's 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 a uh, 
it's for example in the first evil dead part of that isolation was making sure that they make sure that you can't run right this this bridge this huge bridge suddenly you know they get to it um cheryl and ash try to run you know they drive to the bridge and the bridge has just been completely destroyed in uh the Evil Dead 2, that bridge is in the same condition, but there's somehow a separate path that comes and goes as the Evil Dead wish wish it to. Uh, Army of Darkness is kind of its own thing. Um, and then in the Evil Dead remake, it's a river that rises and floods that prevents them from escaping. Um, and here we have the stairwell that has been decimated perhaps by the earthquake but we, we don't yes there's an earthquake in the there's film an um but just as conveniently it could be because of the evil dead mm-hmm. right um and so part of what it does is seclude you mm-hmm. make you feel alone but because evil dead rise occurs in the middle of a city mm-hmm. i think it 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 does you know it is probably not an odd occurrence to live around a lot of people who are suffering and to never know it. Mm, mm. And it seems that's what's happening in this film. And if that's one of the things that, you know, the film sort of makes us think about, then I would like to say that that is a, a good aspect of the film. Yeah, I agree totally. And, uh, what, what, you know, can we also say that there is probably not enough horror movies set in the middle of cities? Yeah. And which is kind of strange considering how many of us actually live in cities, you know. That yeah. we, we are at the moment uh, mostly an urban uh, species. Yes. Um, well, I, I think that's, yeah. it's, that's part of the difficulty. Right? It's hard. It must be difficult to make a, a horror film. Uh where the characters are in the middle of the city where, you know, mm. y- you'd have people and police officers with guns going after the evil dead, I think. You know, it'd be it'd be chaos, but um, I, I think uh, the, there would be equal violence. Yes, yes. So so this, this film does something clever. It tries to do it, doesn't it, by saying that the evil is limited to one floor. Yes. Of this high-rise building. Yes. And people can't go up or down because the the lift is, uh, you know, not working either. And and then the entire um, community on this floor is is involved. Yes. So you have the neighbors who come in. Um, I think that was an interesting touch, mm-hmm. introducing neighbors, but much more could have done with them. Been, yeah, could be, have been done with them. And the, because they they were they got they just got gotten destroyed. rid of very very early <laughs> yeah. in the film. So, so okay. Here, here's what an idea that that I I'd like to to think about. So, it, it's it's the idea of place. So the 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 we have this iconic cabin, which, mm. you know, cabins in horror films. That's a thing. Mm. It, this cabin serves both as an escape from the city, and as a, a shelter from the elements. Right. That's why they're going there. They're they're university students. They're going there to to have a a, a good time. Right in this sense, it's the the first Evil Dead. It's kind of a a conservative, you know, film. Right, they're going there for a great sex romp, presumably, and the Evil Dead's kind of like, nah, <laughs> not in my woods. Um, but so, but in the Evil Dead, the the shelter itself is kind of it's a shambles, isn't it? 
Um, so the the humans the humans can die and become one of the evil dead at any moment. The inside of the shelter is not safe, right? Because of that, at least because of that, you got trees falling through the windows, breaking them. The dead seem to be able to punch through the the, the you know the thin wooden walls of the cabin whenever they wish. Um, the doors all easily open, <laughs> and the locks seem almost decorative. Um, you know, you got this swing, as we've mentioned before, banging against the cabin wall. And this is constantly an assault against one's uh, one sense of hearing. Right? Cheryl, she's being locked in the basement for most of the film, making the, the basement, which is probably the most solid part of the structure, terribly unsafe. Um, but of course, right, it's the basement. It's a basement with something scary in it. So where are the bullets located? In the basement. Uh, so you eventually have to go down there. You go down there. Blood seeps into the cabin from we don't know where. Um, it's going into you know the 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 light bulbs and all these things. Um, and because the cabin utterly fails as a, a place of shelter, even though that's what it's supposed to be, refuge and, and shelter, we we never know what we're going to get. There is no safe space. So we end up just as tense as ashes. And the cabin is its just this border between the living and the dead. And that border is very violent. Hmm. In Evil Dead Rise, and this is not a cabin film, right? So it's fundamentally going to be different. Hmm. The shelter is the home. Um, and in this case, the home just happens to be a former bank that's repurposed into apartments. But we learn early on that this shelter is soon to be knocked down. So our protagonists lose a sense of place, a sense of belonging, um, a sense of safeness. And the one place that seems to embody safeness, which is this is the room that no one seems to be able to get into and that might hold the key to everyone's escape, right? That room that, I mean, they've taken crowbars and jackhammers and almost took a gun to the lock. It's impenetrable. And ultimately, this space goes completely unused, right? We never see the inside of that room. So this also lends to this, this I think, this conservative nature of this particular film. The home gets invaded by the demons. So something that does not belong inside comes inside. Mm-hmm. And that might be different from the cabin film, where you have gone someplace, yeah, it's supposed to be a, a refuge, but ultimately, you don't have any control over that. Mm-hmm. And in both cases... These are, I guess, private spaces, and we expect private spaces to be controllable by the individuals who own or inhabit them. These should be places or spaces in which the element of surprise is greatly mitigated, right? But the demons are not capitalists, so they have no respect for these boundaries. Um, the fact that a shelter can be so quickly undone is, I think, in and of itself very scary. The security of a bank building very quickly turns into... Um, the very different security of a prison, uh, except that instead of armed guards roaming the corridors, you have demons walking um, the corridor. So this, when I was looking at these films, to me, just the cabin, and this is why I led with that question about an Airbnb, right? The, The cabin itself plays such a huge role in the film in the creation of atmosphere, etc. in such a way that once that's changed to 
a large apartment block, it doesn't feel the same. Mm. 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 I, well, I think you're right, and I think that's probably why the filmmakers felt it necessary to bracket the film or to frame it within the story of the cabin. So yes. it begins with the cabin. Yeah, that's it right. It with the cabin in the woods. Yes. So I think they're also insecure about it. And I have to say that, for me, the beginning, as I said, works much better than the rest of the film. Yeah, because we think we're going to get an entirely different film in the beginning, that's don't right. we? That's right. Now, I think there would have been ways to make the uh, inner city apartment work, particularly when one does actually bring in these interesting elements about the precarity and security of it. I mean, I agree with you. There is something there is something profoundly conservative about the fear of home invasion, mm. particularly a kind of a feminine fear of men outside, which is a very much a very bourgeois, I would say, fear. Well, well that's a film that we're going to have to watch, right? Have you, you know, the film Men? Oh, well, okay. Yes. <laughs> we'll invite someone else on to uh, I think we should. to join us. We should. But there is that too, right? So this this is an interesting, um, I mean, I mean, perhaps gender is a part of it, but also I would say in a fairly conservative way. So the question mm. of motherhood, for example, here, particularly when we realize that the film may have a sort of an agenda about pregnancy. Yes. And about the fact that, you know, an embryo can be called a soul, mm -hmm. which is literally what happens in the film. So... You know, all of that is there. But I think uh, to kind of contradict myself, and, and, I, and I say this as somebody who thinks that, you know, a work of art is neither entirely, you know, right wing or left wing, you know, yes. a work of art is not a political party. Um, at the same time, like you said, um, Jason, I think the film does have some really interesting things to say about the nature of urban life, and especially the fact that, you know, the, the former middle class or the proletarianized middle class are living now in conditions of increasing precarity, buildings that are falling apart, buildings yeah. that are built on top of what used to be um, successful financial institutions or banks. Yes. But now they're collapsing. The lift isn't working. You know, everything everything is, is, is dysfunctional. And it's taking families with it. And it's exactly. It's doing that. Um, interestingly enough, it seems to me that the film doesn't want to actually make use of that possibility. So once we move from the base, I'm almost tempted to use a Marxist metaphor, from the economic base, mm -hmm. once we go up in the building, we enter this, you know, superstructure or higher levels, the film also loses in its interest. Yes. It's interest in, in these sort of deeper, more interesting questions, which I think they're actually fully there in The Evil Dead. I think so, too. So because The Evil Dead exactly like to say, what is a retreat? What is a country retreat from the city? That's the bourgeois dream par excellence. Like, yes. If you work hard enough in the city and you make money, how, how will you show that you're moving up in the world, that your class is improving? Yeah. You go on a holiday. Yeah. You go to a cabin in the woods. And you'd go there to exactly give an expensive present to your loved one. Yes. A form of jewelry. And and so this is exactly the... I think Ash wants to be a good upper middle class citizen of our world. And that's his dream. Yes. And it's yes. the dream that the demon says, no, I'm going to destroy it for you. Well, and to add um, to that, in the 2013 remake, it's not just a random cabin in the woods that they're they're going to, or a cabin owned by someone else. The cabin is owned by the brother and sister, or the parents. It's it's a family hmm. cabin, hmm. right? And so, this family is supposed to be a family that has made it. They've got the signs of having made it. Despite the sister's um, ongoing you know, problems with, with drugs, um, you've made it. 
you've got family photos up in the cabin. Um, you're supposed to be kind of having a good time. But that all comes tumbling down. Mm. Yeah. Which I think adds to that mm. economic, socioeconomic yeah. uh, analysis of the film. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's, I mean, it's very interesting. In the, in the new film, even though the potential is there, we don't really see it. Yes. I'm, I'm not convinced by the, um, the lead who plays the mother. Um, yes. Um, um, I, she doesn't look like a working class mother. I have to say it. You know, it's it, it's not that she has to you know have a certain accent and wear like you know dirty clothes or anything. Mm-hmm. But but you know there is something to be said about casting, and it is interesting that the filmmakers decided to cast a very a supermodel, or yeah. in, in the role of somebody who should who should be um, embodying a certain kind of. Uh, insecurity and precarity or something like that yeah uh, that that said i want to i want to also say that she does do a really great job and i think she would have she would have tested very well for the screen because when they add um uh, you know the demonic eyes uh, to her uh, the, the demonic glow to her eyes mm-hmm. and she does that you know sinister smile she's, she looks pretty terrifying. she's got the smile she's got the limminess the limbiness if, yeah. if i can make up yeah. a word yeah. but i i might also say that um yeah, you know, um, she, maybe she is also aspirational, mm. right? Mm. She is, she 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 is on that line of, uh, of of of. She's not necessarily on the line of having made it. She's she's not quite there yet, mm. but she is on the line of keeping it together, right? And so. I think it's it's possible to to give that character a little bit a little bit more credence despite um sure. the fact that she's having so much uh trouble mm-hmm. uh keeping things together but as I think that adds to the the story of that particular character she mm-hmm. was probably doing quite well until uh, the husband just kind of ups and leaves, and that leaves the family in a position of precarity and uncertainty. Yes, yes, and it's at that point when the boy, possibly looking for a father replacement, Mm -hmm. goes to the vaults of the bank and and finds the recording um, and the book. So they seem to be sort of fairly masculine objects in, in, in that way too. Yeah, and doesn't and quite find their replacement though. No, no. Well, the de- <laughs> the demon. I mean, it's very interesting. Like when we think about like de- the gender of demon, either in the Evil Dead franchise or generally in, in yes. popular culture, um, it seems to be. Uh, um, I don't know what the correct term is at the moment, but hermaphroditic. Okay. Yeah. If if that's the right word to use, I I don't want to say trans because well, that. You know. Well, the demon is not, uh, you know, locked into any sort it's of gender binary fluid. at all, no, right? Not so, at all. Yeah. yeah, it can be both, but it can impersonate both. Interestingly, yes. Um. So, so I think that here, um, it can impersonate the mother. Yes. Um. Although the you know locked within that. Uh, so if the, if the Necronomicon is a 
kind of like a book of of knowledge, mm. right? It's a book of forbidden sure, knowledge, sure. but it's a book of knowledge. Sure. And what it unlocks is a portal uh, that allows things from one world to come into another world and wreak havoc. Those demons have not existed in a vacuum, mm. right? There is experience and intelligence there, and they use that uh, to to get to you. So we would expect those forces to have that level of flexibility, I think. It kind of makes sense. Yes, yes. And and, and I love I love the way you put it. It's forbidden knowledge. Um and, and, and that's that's the best best thing about it. And and the question I guess the film puts forward is that what happens if we have access to forbidden knowledge? Yes. Well, okay, we something gets unleashed, something that would result in what exactly? Human bodies being taken over by demonic presence, people becoming murderers, a lot of blood getting shed, a lot of body parts being, you know, ripped apart. Okay, yes. But it also creates a stories and it also creates the possibility, I guess, for somebody like Ash to emerge. Yeah, to arise, yes. To, to arise, to, yes. to grow up. I mean, this is also the story of Ash's maturation, as you say. The first and, three, yes. Yes, yes. And, and I think in the, in the last movie too, I mean, that element is there, isn't it? Again, I feel like it's put in a fairly sort of conservative, feminine, um, maternal context, where by the end, our surviving protagonist, the sister, who's the um, pregnant woman, realizes that this whole movie was the story of her coming to terms with wanting to become a mother. Yes. And by the end, sorry, spoiler alert, but this will not shock anyone to hear that this movie vindicates her desire to keep her um, embryo and become a mother. Um, so, yeah. you know, the thought of uh, abortion is gone. So, in a way, maybe this movie is a sort of an allegory. Maybe, maybe that's a bit too much. I'm not sure. But maybe it is an allegory of the fear of abortion. Well, the, the uncertainty that mm. she goes. So, she, she visits uh, her sister mm. um, because she does not know what to do. She's uncertain. right? And, and there are hints that something similar has happened before. Um. And through the destruction of one arm of her family, one branch of her family, she gains a certain kind of courage because once you've fought the evil dead, well, you can take on anything. She, she, she gains a certain kind of courage to build another branch of the family, taking with her the smallest child of the the now destroyed branch of the family so i would say the the conservativeness comes in that form right the, you know the 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 kind of um it goes in 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 an expected direction right the continuation of the family is really um what matters and that is what we're fighting for here right that's what the humans are fighting for the the evil dead you know they're not yes they are chaotic but they're not they, they are very clear what they want. What is that? Well, they want the live life yes. of the humans. They they state this. Not not just the body, but the entire, you know, subjectivity of a person. Their mind, their psychology, their hidden their hidden repressed thoughts and desires too. All of that yes, stuff. Yes. All of that stuff. Um <laughs> you know, and, and so you essentially have uh 
an army of dead that live in one world. And they say, hey, things over there, like, I want that stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if there's an opportunity to cross into the other world, right, of the world of the living, Hmm. hey, we can take the stuff that we want, right? It's it's like colonization, but the evil dead. Yes, yes. (laughs) Right? We generally don't see it like that. But there is a sort of raw... um, access to raw material aspect to what they are trying to do. So they're not completely um, unpredictable. Mm. They're not completely without a logic. Mm. They're not completely chaotic. Mm. We know what what, what they want to do, but how they go about it is something trickier to deal with. Did, Did you... One of the things that I missed in the new... Uh, in Evil Dead Rise, um, is just the sense of humor and the childishness of the Evil Dead. The Evil Dead that we get in Evil Dead Rise, it, it's it's quite I I would say <laughs> lacking in a sense of humor. Very deceptive, mm. yes, but not the sense of humor that and the childishness that you get from the evil dead in the original film you know in the evil dead they sing rhymes right you know we're gonna get you we're gonna get you not another peep time to go to sleep you know they're just messing with your head um and they're also childish in their ability to psychologically torment you i mean just like kids are right Mm -hmm. kids have no filter they will just tell you what it is and you will go home crying right (laughs) that's that's kids um the evil dead are kind of like that and eventually we get to the point where Ash is able to meet them uh, in that regard. Whereas in the Evil Dead Rise, we, I, I'm trying to think of comedic moments that we had in that film. We had the eyeball. Um, what else did we, did we have in that film? That was a, a moment of, you know, kind of laughter. Hmm. I I struggle to remember any to be honest, yeah. um, and it's possible that the director was hoping that the audience would go in with a smile on their face because they're going to see the latest installment in a great um, in a great series, or, or yeah, horror, horror comedy series. So they yeah. would go in expecting to laugh in the same way that you know, if I went uh, to see a movie with um, I don't know Ben Stiller, say, mm-hmm. um, I would expect. I go in expecting to laugh. To laugh, yeah. Uh, or if it's Adam Sandler, I go in there expecting not to laugh. <laughs> oh, oh man, sorry. I'll hey, take that back. hey. Um, both oddly um, enough, both of those actors. Just to throw this out there, out there, Ben Stiller plays a great serious character, as does Adam Sandler. He does. Punch drunk love. No, that's no. Come on. <laughs> no, no, okay, okay. Hey, let's stick to horror. Let's stick to horror. Um, but but I think you're right, and I think that um, look under the weight of dealing with such weighty subject matter yes. as you know, bringing a new life into the world, mm-hmm. motherhood. It's almost as if you can't joke about these things, you know. Whereas whereas I think Raimi gave himself the license to joke about absolutely anything. Yes, under the sun with the Evil Dead. And which, you know, one has to say, at least on, in, a, in a couple of ways, that film probably would have trouble being made today. Like there are certain things, e.g. sexual violence, you just can't, you just can't make entertaining, let alone humorous. So let's, let's say 
I'm, I'm, you know, I agree with that sentiment of today that we should not laugh at such things. Yes. Nevertheless, um, nevertheless, I think that this movie, the the Evil Dead Rise, takes itself awfully seriously, which is okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not against uh, serious horror. In fact, mm-hmm. you know, in the um, many uh, of our future podcasts, we'll be talking probably something like The Omen, which is probably my the most influential horror film in my life. Yes. And it's incredibly serious, you know. It doesn't have anything like wit, let alone humor. No. It's yes. very serious. And I think that's one of the, the genius of The Evil Dead is that it comes after those movies like The Omen, The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, you know, these very serious biblical horror films, mm-hmm. which are very successful. They they set the tone for the, you know, next decade of Hollywood horror filmmaking. Yes. And when, when Raimi comes in, he says, you know what, I'm going to take the possessed girl out of The Exorcist and I'm going to have fun with this trope. I'm going to make it ridiculous. I'm going to make yeah. it absurd because... It is ridiculous and absurd. I mean, how could anyone actually be get freaked out by, you know, possessed Regan spewing out the the, piece the green stuff? The green yes. Stuff? <laughs> I mean, I have to say, as as a huge fan of The Exorcist, that scene, whenever I watch it, I think this is absurd. Like, <laughs> why would Pazuzu produce green spew? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Well... I mean, you know. what has she been eating to produce, you know? <laughs> well, like especially copious spew. amounts of it, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Like, whoa. And, and I think Raimi must have had the same response. So I'd imagine him and his, his mates going to a screenings of this very big budget, you know, Oscar-winning horror movies mm-hmm. and going, this is this is this is ridiculous. Let's yeah. let's have fun with it. Let's make fun of it. And I think the evil that mm-hmm. makes fun of horror, but it still remains very much a horror film. I think they went to see The Exorcist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, you know, very close to one another um, and came away with cabin, chainsaw, possession. (laughs) These are the key words. What can we do with this? And they did just a simply brilliant job. I agree. And I also think they probably saw a fair bit of uh, Bruce Lee martial arts films and or some westerns Westerns, yes because the the amazing choreography of action these these very quick shots the visual language of of confrontation between the demon or the demonically possessed person versus ash and that that's straight out of a a quote-unquote chinatown martial arts film of the 1970s yeah um and uh that's another one of the great innovations of raimi is that he brings that very effective visual language of staging action, which is basically juxtaposing shots of, you know, two combating people from different perspectives and just cutting mm-hmm. them, just mixing, using montage. It's, it's, you know, it's so common now that we forget that somebody actually invented this. And, and that yes. was a thing in Hollywood. It really was Sam Raimi. So he does it first with this very low budget horror film. But then in the new, in our millennium, in the noughties, he's brought in it's to revive the Spider-Man, the, and, yeah. the, the superhero film, and he does yeah. it again. And it's really interesting, Jason. I don't know if you agree with this, but now that, for better or for worse, I think we are past the superhero movie boom. Oh, it's, it's oh over. goodness! Please okay. end it. Oh. Oh, oh, I can't believe you said that. Now we're going to get cancelled. Oh. <laughs> we are going to get cancelled for your horribly dismissive uh, view. But I, I, I share <laughs> that view entirely. But I think that at this. If you like, possibly at the ass end of this boom, who do they bring to revive it? Sam Raimi. 
So they brought him in to make the um, latest Doctor Strange film, mm. which 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 has the trademark action, you know, the 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 kind of choreography of the dance of deadly violence. Yes, and yeah. and it's it's a pleasure to watch. And I think I th- and I'm pretty sure Raimi gets that from um, from uh, Chinese uh, Hong Kong martial art films. Um, and possibly yeah. from possibly from Kurosawa and the samurai uh, movies as well. Um, yeah. Although I'm not I mean, sure if the editing is too sharp, maybe for a Japanese action film of the time. But um, but but if you appreciate film, mm. right? You know why wouldn't you? Right? Why yeah. wouldn't you see a film and go, "Oh my goodness, that is such a great idea! I want to do that, or I want to make this part of of my visual language." Yes. Right. By the way, let me throw it out here. Uh, disclaimer. I am not categorically against superhero films. <laughs> <That's okay>. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just against most of them. <laughs> I'm just bored of them. Mm. That's another podcast, though. It is. It is. And I think, yes, I, no, I totally agree. And, and yes, I think, but I, I think this question of bringing something completely outside of a genre into that genre, mm-hmm. it takes guts. Yes. And you must think, will it work? And, and I, I think that perhaps Raimi and his editors... Um, if he wasn't his own editor, I'm not sure, would have probably experimented with this and said, look, can we have two people physically fighting each other, have close-ups of their body parts getting bruised or injured or Mm -hmm. cut, Mm -hmm. as you would in a Bruce Lee movie, and yet have one of them be demonically possessed? Will that work? Someone said... Yes, let's <laughs> give it a try. <laughs> you, you know, it's a fun game to play with these uh, with with these films. Where's Ted Raimi? <laughs> Ted Raimi is usually in there somehow. As as um, I, I'm supposing, Ted Raimi is Sam Raimi's brother. I'm guessing. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. and he's just in there somehow. He's dressed as one of the deadites. You know, he's making an appearance as a as a, a villager or or something like that. And it's like, okay, all right, you go, Ted. You, it's 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 like playing um, where in the world? No, where's Waldo? <laughs> right, except with Ted Raimi. Where's Ted? I love that about these films. Yes, yes. Look, there's there's a lot to love about these films, and um, so so one final question maybe, um, Jason, if there was one reason that everybody who has not seen The Evil Dead or um, any of the original movies yep. of the original um, uh, sequence hasn't seen them, if there's one reason they should see it, what should, what would it be? I would just say that they are very important um, films in uh, not just uh, horror film history, but in film history uh, and in the career of, of Sam Raimi. Uh, I think you and I and many people know Sam Raimi. He, he is synonymous with the Evil Dead and the Evil Dead is synonymous with Sam Raimi. And to be honest, I will always be appreciative of the fact that he gave us this film. I don't know how Sam Raimi uh, feels about it. If you know, because you, you kind of get tired of being associated with your early work, mm. but he's not just associated with his early work. He's he's done so much more since then. Um, so I would say, um, it's just an important part of uh, of of film history. There's a reason why, for example, Bruce Campbell um, could become such a, a cult iconic uh actor mm. and he's just beloved the film is beloved mm. um 
I would also say that it's not as scary as you think. Yeah, it's called The Evil Dead, but it's an utterly ridiculous film. Um, maybe there are some moments where uh, you might be a little bit scared, but again, the film is quite tense, so it can't really resort to jump scares because every moment is tense. So there's <laughs> there's no point in res- resorting to jump scares. Um, and you know... Uh, that the film is series as a series is just going to get more and more ridiculous. So I think you can have some comfort if you go into it knowing that and knowing that it's, it all seems like pasta against the wall. And even the new evil dead look, it wasn't my favorite film, but am I going to watch it again? Yes. Why? Because it's the Evil Dead. Mm. How about you? Okay. Um, I don't know if I'm going to watch it again, but I'm I'm glad I've seen it. I really am because it also kind of gives me a sense of, uh, you know, what's what people are watching and what they're making these days. And I, and I think it's it's interesting to see if, for our time, the the Evil Dead needs to be become a little bit earnest. Yes. Lose its humor. Yeah. Um. And become about a serious issue, e.g., you know, motherhood. Then it probably tells us something about our 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 um, our, gen, our our culture at the moment. Yes, which is which yes. is an interesting thing to know. Maybe we motherhood, don't... poverty, seclusion. Those are the main themes, exactly, yeah. exactly. So that 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 is, I think, I think from that point of view, it's a very valuable film. But if if I could say one reason and one reason alone to watch The Evil Dead of 1981, I would say it's the f- final few minutes which i had completely forgotten about until i watched it again and it's those it's the use of claymation and stop motion <laughs> animation do you remember i remember as the bodies of the decompose, the decompose and yeah. recompose and decompose yes. and recompose and, and this sequence goes on for 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 a fairly long time yeah and it's obvious that it's not supposed to look real or naturalistic right. it is not supposed to uh, look anything other than utterly Utterly otherworldly, yes, and phantasmatic, yes. and and fantastic, and it's a it's a beautiful interruption in the aesthetic of the film, and I have to say, in the aesthetic of horror cinema of the time, which, which was trying to make uh, use practical effects to make, uh, you know, um, blood and gore, or the appearance of the supernatural, or whatever else that the special effects person had to make, the f- horror films of the time of then and now would try to make all of that look more and more natural. Yes. As if there's this is a real monster in the house or whatever. This this sequence at the end of The Evil Dead makes a point of trying to look as unnatural as, as possible. As yeah. possible. And that's really interesting. That at, I think at this point there's almost like a philosophy of the demonic. That at this point, Raimi is saying, Look, I know and you know that the demons don't exist. Mm-hmm. I invented this. It's totally artificial. And yet you watch this and you're going to watch the next one because ultimately the demon is what you make of it. It is the projection of your own fears and desires. It is, it is not real. You know, here it is. I'm showing you it's made of clay. It's, 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 uh, it's just, it's just special effects. It's just movie magic. Yeah. But if you're looking for demons, here it is. look inside. Yes. 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 Yeah. Wow. Well, on that fun note, uh, that's it for this episode of super fun scary cast we hope you'll join us for our next episode
coming next week. See you, everyone. See you later.